So here with Scout uh, 247, uh, recruiting analyst, national guy. I don't even know what to call you now, Brandon. I, I'm the 20, because I had to get that right for this week. 247, sorry, 247 Sports, National College Football Recruiting Editor. <laughs> Say that one more time. The 247 Sports, National Recruiting Editor, or National College Football Recruiting Editor. Okay. It's I'm going to just call you Brandon Huffman because that's how I know you. I answered that one. So, Brandon, uh, we're here at Russell Wilson's quarterback camp uh, here at French Field in Kent. And uh, it's the day after the first day of the early signing period. Historic for the NCAA, obviously, in all these colleges that had to uh, kind of piecemeal kind of a, a cobbled together a class, whether it was uh, with Washington, for instance, getting 18 out of 18 guys, or whether it's another school that had a coaching change that could maybe only get half of their guys to sign. What do you think was the overall impact of this signing period? You know, I, I think it was definitely more, there was more guys that signed than I anticipated early on. Although I did say I thought it would be between 50 and 70. I think I read somewhere like 65%. So basically it's about two-thirds. Yeah, and, and I thought it would be much less played up. I, I didn't think it was going to receive as much of the fanfare. And it, it clearly didn't. It didn't feel like National Signing Day yesterday. Uh, but there were more guys that signed than I anticipated yesterday. And, I mean, you look at some schools like Washington. They signed every one of their commits. Um, you know, I, I know that Clemson signed, I think, just about every one of their commits. And so you look at a lot of these top schools, not only did their commits commit yesterday, but a lot of them signed, and they're avoiding the last six weeks. Now, there's still, you know, a good amount of guys in the top 247 that are still planning to make decisions, take the rest of the time to take official visits, but it, it definitely had more, uh, I would say it was definitely more uh, active than I anticipated it being. Right. Now, I know you've obviously talked to certain people, whether it's Seattle Radio or what have you, about uh, Ali Cajo, Brandon Cajo. Um, how shocked were you when he decided to commit to Washington? I, I wasn't that shocked because I knew that the Huskies had been on that short list. I think I was surprised when he committed. I thought this one might drag out a little bit longer. I thought this would be one that might see him take a couple more officials in January because I think he still had two left, maybe three. Uh, I thought he could take this all the way to the February signing day. And then for him to commit and then more importantly for them to get him to sign yesterday was kind of like the perfect storm of everything going exactly how they wanted it to. Uh, but I knew the Huskies, even when he didn't have him in his top five in the summer, I knew that they were still going to kind of be there in the uh, on the periphery and very much involved for him. Uh, but that, I mean, that's as big of a win as you can get for an out-of-state kid. And Chris Peterson, what this is his fifth recruiting class. You know, I would say it's by far the best out-of-state recruit that he's gotten, and the best recruiting win easily in those five years. Now, not to pin you guys or, or the two four seven staff down but obviously there's been fringe talk about him maybe bumping up to five stars before the final rankings and ratings are done for the 2018 class how how much of a chance do you give that well it would help if one four-letter network would not have him ranked as a three-star and not even have him in the top tier in the state of nevada so that would really help his composite rating go up but no like you say in terms of two four seven i mean he's right there on the doorstep i mean it, it was one of those where you know you could make a case that San Antonio, him and Palaie Gaeteote are battling to say who stays number one in the state of Nevada. Now, I still like what Palaie has done against better competition over the last three years. Um, and he's a bigger, more physical linebacker. And, and frankly, he's just done it against bigger teams and better better teams. But Cahill's got more upside, and I think he's a little bit more athletic. So that week, when they're both playing on the same even playing field, is going to be a, a great opportunity for him to you know make that loud case for him to be a five-star on 24-7. But as far as a composite, 
does it, yeah. that four-letter network that's allergic to football west of the Mississippi needs to get in gear. Right. Now, I think we could skip past a little bit in terms of the rest of this early recruiting process. There is a huge story out there here with Kyler Gordon from Archbishop Murphy deciding between Washington and Notre Dame on Thursday night. Um, obviously, there's going to be a lot being talked about that either way, whichever way he decides. But moving on to the February signing date, um, you know, do you expect as many flips on that particular signing day as maybe we saw on Wednesday? No, because I think at that point you'll – I mean, the, the flips are going to happen whether it's December, whether it's February. And I think you'll – I mean, you'll, you'll still have some flips, but – one of the advantages I think colleges like to having the early signing period is that you're less likely to get flips because if they don't sign in December, then you don't really keep you consider them a commit. So you're going to probably start recruiting elsewhere at that position because if they weren't on board in December, what makes you feel confident they're going to be on board in February? So I don't think you're going to see as many flips right up to signing day because I think by then if a kid had committed to a school and didn't sign in December – that coaching staff is already operating under the assumption that he may not sign with us. So they may just say, hey, go ahead and open things up much sooner rather than later. And we've got our guys. And, and that's why I think the one advantage, to the other advantage to the early signing period is coaches can kind of reset their board and say, okay, now we can still get out on the road the same amount of time. We can still host official visitors, but now we're only chasing five or six guys as opposed to babysitting 18 of our commits. There's five or six guys that we are going after. We know who we can spend all our time and energy on. And so I I think it allows for that resetting and then you know the guys that are committed to you that maybe you didn't sign now you know really where you stand and if you even count them as a commit feels to me like it opens itself up for a lot more negative recruiting oh absolutely and I, and I think you'll see a lot more negative recruiting because it's like hey you know they already got four receivers and they're signed you know not coaches can't sit and I think it, it's going to hold a lot of other staffs accountable too they can't sit there and say oh you know we got four receivers you're our fifth but we think two of those guys are going to decommit no longer can they say it because all four of those signatures are already in. So I think you're going to see a lot more accountability, but I do think you're going to have those schools that there is going to be that negative recruiting. And I would imagine that you're going to see kind of even more intense recruiting because there's less guys to focus on and more coaches doing the focusing on them. Right. Now, before we finish off with, with February signing day with Washington, looking at some certain guys, do you think there's a possibility that the signing day could be moved up even to August? With the, with the early official visits now that are going to be kicking in, it, it, could there be a movement to try to get the early part of it really out of the way? I, I would bet the earliest it would be would be September or October. I don't think that they'll try to do it right in the middle of bowl preparation and finals and you know leading up to the end of the season. I, I think it may end up being a similar model to what the college basketball is, where it's November and April, so now you can move it up two months, so it's September and February that jives, and you have those April and May and those opportunity for official visits earlier and earlier. I don't think you'll see it outside of the school year. I think you'll see it in the middle of the school year and, and probably in the early part of the season, much like it is for hoops. Okay. Now, uh, talking about wash, talking about Washington prospects and that February signing, we're we're going through the operating assumption that it's going to be basically between twenty and twenty-two players. Now they're at eighteen. If Kyler Gordon decides to commit, that could take up one spot. But you're looking at three to possibly four guys. Who do you think would be the top guys left on Washington's board? When you saw Caleb Tremblay out there, who is between USC and, and essentially down to USC and Washington. Um, 
then you've got Jul- uh, Julia, Jul- Julia Servin um, from Servite High School, who is probably leaning to Notre Dame right now. USC's involved, and then Washington's there. Uh, Jackson Cravens. You've got Tennessee Pututau, um, and I, I think that might be it. Stephen Blaylock signed with UCLA late last night. Yep. Um, I feel like there's somebody else that I'm missing, uh, but I think those are the majority of those guys. Oh, Jeremiah Martin, the yeah. four-star defensive end from San Bernardino. Uh, I know he's anticipating uh, taking a visit towards the end of January, and he won't be a decision until signing day. So you know, those are really the five or six that you need to really know, and I think coaches like that. You know, you've know, you got a pretty wide variety of positions there. I mean, Okaka Malloy and uh, Pete Kwiatkowski and Bob Gregory are going to be a little bit busy, but you know, the offensive staff doesn't really have to do a lot of recruiting so you can get those regional guys a Keith Bonifa whose running back class is already taken care of it's done he now can go into uh, Jeremiah Martin's home as the guy who recruits the Inland Empire as a compliment to the defensive staff and I think coaches will like being able to to bring more uh more ammo to the fight uh, instead of having to be spread so thin like they knew, normally are in January. Right. And a guy like Martin is very intriguing considering the guys that are looking at him. How would you kind of handicap that race right now? I, I don't think he stays in Southern California. I will say that. I know that Texas A&M was probably going to get his commitment had Kevin Sumlin not been let go. Oklahoma is making a, I wouldn't even say it's a late charge. They offered him, he took an official visit that month, and immediately they moved into his top tier. Right now, I, I would say Oklahoma's probably the team to beat for him. He does seem to be set on potentially getting out of California, which would bode well for Washington. But right now, I think Oklahoma is in the leader spot. If he does stay at home, I think he goes ends up at USC. Good. And one other one real quick. With those other guys being targeted, do you think they land one or two guys? I mean, do you, th- do you think there's one in that group that you think is uh, is leaning Washington's way right now? Um, you know, I, I could see them w- with a guy like Pututau, you know, signing him, and then he's a sign-in sense, so he doesn't come in for a couple of years. Um, you know, I, Martin isn't out of the realm of possibility. I could take the easy answer and say Kyler Gordon. Right. Uh, but if we're looking at the February signing period, uh, you know, they, they do have some battles. Julius Servin could be another guy that they add. You know, he seems to be getting pulled a bunch of ways. There's been it's been talk about Notre Dame this week, SC that week, Notre Dame this week, SC that week. Maybe he breaks the tie and just goes to Washington. So I, I would say, you know, none of those guys are certain things because they're not local kids. They're they're out of state guys that are getting pulled a bunch of different ways. But you know, just for the sake of answering the question, I, I would say Irvin would probably be the one that I think they would have the best chance to get. And even that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Well, fantastic stuff, Rand, as always. And I know that uh, you and Blair and all those guys are going to be in San Antonio for the Army game, which, you know, Washington's got a lot of prospects there. And then you're going to Hawaii. Tough duty for the uh, for the Polynesian Bowl. Sacrifices. So, yeah, so, you know, tough duty, but, you know, someone's got to do it. And Washington's got five guys that are going to be playing. At least five guys are going to be playing in that game as well. Potentially six. Yeah, so there's, uh, you know, so we look forward to all of uh, your guys' great reports and really appreciate you catching up as always. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Happy holidays. You too.